ReachMD XM157 now presents this month's special series, Exploring Heart Health. Does air pollution trigger blood clots? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. Joining me today in the studio is Dr. Scott Budinger, Assistant Professor of Pulmonary and Critical Care Medicine at Northwestern University, and Dr. Gokan Mutlu, also an Assistant Professor of Medicine at Northwestern University. Both doctors are authors of a recent paper entitled Ambient Particular Matter Accelerates Coagulation via an IL-6-Dependent Pathway. Doctors, welcome to the show. Thank you. Nice to be here. Thank you very much. Thanks for the invitation. Nice to be here. So I'm wondering, what is the epidemiological link between air pollution and uh, cardiovascular disease? Scott? So the link between exposure to particulate matter air pollution and cardiovascular disease is very well established. It actually was initially observed in some studies that were conducted in the United States and in Europe in the late 70s, early 80s, that actually showed that as the ambient particulate matter levels increased, there was an increase in all-cause mortality. If you saw a daily increase in particulate matter levels, you'd see a daily increase in all-cause mortality, and most of that mortality was driven by an increase in cardiovascular events. Right, so help me out and define particulate matter. What exactly is making a particulate matter? So air pollution forms typically in internal combustion engines in urban areas. And it forms as these nanometer-sized particles that have a core of carbon or ash, and that's actually from burning fossil fuels. And as those particles cool, the organic material and the transition metals that are present in the engine as well condense onto the outside of that particle. Um, and those particles then coalesce to make bigger particles, and those particles are then released. And the largest particles you can actually see coming out of engines as exhaust, but the smaller particles, the ones that you can't see, are probably the ones that are responsible for the majority of the toxicity. There are other components of air pollution, ozone and nitrogen dioxide and other things that are there, but um, what we focused on is particulate matter, and that's because these epidemiologic studies really linked that with the cardiovascular disease. All right, so you guys are pulmonary docs. Yes, we are. So the big particles, I imagine, we are able to basically block out, get stuck in the alveoli. The big particles, they're stuck in the upper airways. Okay, so what size kind of, you know, how small are the particulate matter that actually get into the alveoli and actually get into our bloodstream? So the smaller the particles, the more likely that they're going to reach the alveolar space. The larger particles are going to be stuck in the upper airway or cleared by the upper airway. So particles greater than 10 microns will not reach to the uh, lower airways. And most of the particles between 10 and 2.5 microns will probably be cleared by the mucociliary system. And those less than 2.5 so-called fine particles will reach the alveolar space. So once the particulate matter gets into our system, what is our body doing to counteract that to fight it off? So we have done studies for the last two and a half, three years on the particles and looking at the effects on the lung initially. Since we were pulmonologists, we actually wanted to see if these particles cause any lung damage. And we published these data about two years ago. We found that particles cause lung inflammation if they're given to animals at a high dose. At lower levels, when they're exposed to lower levels of particulate matter, which are actually moderate levels that a human will be exposed to, they would develop mild inflammation in the lung. And then we wanted to investigate if that meant anything clinically. What we found was, this was two years ago, we found that the inflammation caused in the lung actually led to a reduction of the lung to clear edema fluid, 
which is important if you have congestive heart failure. And there's an epidemiologic link between exposure to particulate matter and CHF exacerbations and admissions to the hospital. So while we were doing these experiments, we actually observed that these animals during surgeries were not bleeding like they normally do. They were forming blood clots faster. And that led to our study. Currently, there is a debate between whether these particles cause their effects on the cardiovascular system directly by translocation to the systemic circulation from the lung, or it's due to the pulmonary inflammation caused by these particles leading to cytokine release and causing other changes in the bloodstream indirectly and then leading to a cardiovascular event. Our studies show that it's the pulmonary inflammation that is important. The the other pathway we did not investigate. Well, you guys would both, I hope, agree with me that cardiovascular disease is an inflammatory disease and something is triggering the cascade. Something is initiating the inflammation of the endothelium and perhaps it is the IL-6 from your study that who cares where it's coming from? If it's coming from the lungs or it's coming from the systemic circulation, it's still damaging the endothelium. Our study certainly supports that it's the lung inflammation that's actually triggering the, the cardiovascular events, or at least that's one mechanism by which it occurs. The debate is whether or not there's actually a direct effect of the particles on the myocardium. Mm -hmm. Certainly, if you take a heart out and you expose it to particles, the heart performs less well, and that may be a part of it. I'd like to see that study, how you you take the heart out. Uh, In an animal. In an animal. (laughs) (laughs) Not in humans. One other thing that I'd like to comment on on the epidemiologic data is that this is an important problem, and it's hard to sometimes relate to it. It's estimated that particulate matter exposure causes 1.8 to 3.1 years of life lost in the most polluted compared to the least polluted American cities. So if you compare that to cigarettes, which is a baseline most people are familiar with, that's 7 to 10 years. So we're talking about a big number here, and that's the reason that there's a lot of interest in these particulates. If you think about it, that's the U.S., which is a relatively clean country. If you go to Mexico City or outside of the U.S., the levels may be 10, 100 times higher than what the highest we would see even in Los Angeles. If you've just joined us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill, and joining me today in the studio is Dr. Scott Buttinger, Assistant Professor of Pulmonary and Critical Care Medicine at Northwestern University, and also joining us is Dr. Gokan Mutlu, also an Assistant Professor of Medicine at Northwestern University. They are both authors of a recent paper on air pollution contributing to heart disease. Scott, we're talking about cities in America. What's Chicago like? Chicago typically ranks in the top, for sure in the top 20, usually in the top 15 for particulate matter concentration. So we're not the worst. We're not the worst, but Um, uh, we're not not the best. Of the major cities, of the larger cities, we're always in the top 10. Where's the best place in America to live for pulmonary health? I mean, they used to say move to Arizona, but I don't think you can say that anymore. Uh, Wyoming? (laughs) (laughs) I think it's it's difficult to predict because some of the worst cities on that list are actually small towns that you've not heard of typically, that typically you haven't heard of. And that's because they're close to a uh, particulate matter generating plant or something else. And there's also a lot of difference between the topography of the region. So the reason that Los Angeles has such high particulate matter levels is because they're in a basin, whereas uh, Chicago is a little bit lower, even though the generation may be the same because of the uh, topography of the region. I read something interesting on the internet that in a single day, Southern California's lawn tools spew out more pollution than all the aircraft in the Los Angeles area combined. 
and that a single mower puts out more air pollution than 73 new cars. What do you guys think of that? That may be true, but again, it depends on what particulates, what you're defining as pollution. So again, these larger particulates are easy to see and easy to measure. The smaller ones, though, um, which are produced by all engines, are actually responsible for most of the health effects. So combustion is bad. Yes. Combusting anything, be it a cigarette, be it an engine, be it anything. Once you ignite, you are creating bad stuff that we are going to breathe in. It's not always true. When you ignite fossil fuels, that's for sure true. There seems to be less, when the epidemiologists have looked at, for example, the big fires in the western United States, where there's very high particulate level concentrations associated with those fires, they don't see the same increase. They see a little bit, but they don't see the same increase in mortality rates that you see with urban particulates. And if you actually look at the difference between a particulate, say, from Mount St. Helens ash, which we've done, and a particulate from Washington, D.C. air, the major difference is that there are different organic compounds on the outside of that particulate, and there are transition metals on the outside of that particulate. So burning a fossil fuel in a combustion engine seems to be just a perfect way to make these little toxic balls that have you know, a core of ash, some organic compounds that can participate in electron transfer reactions with proteins in the cell, and transition metals to make those reactive oxygen species even more toxic. Let's say you guys were in charge of the Chicago Metropolitan Fire Department, and you wanted to make this fire department the safest in America. What would you tell the firemen? What should they be doing differently so that they are not constantly exposed to particulate matter? There's not an easy answer to that question because there's, unfortunately, the masks that you buy or even, you know, an N95 mask that you would use to prevent transmission of tuberculosis is going to fail to filter these small particulates. Remember that the smallest particles that we're talking about are in the nanometer range. So that is, you know, a thousandth of a micron. So these things are very, very small and it's very difficult to filter them. Let's get back to the study. Dr. Mutlut, dive in, take us into it, take us into the science. So about, as I said, two years ago, we were working on how these particles may affect the lung itself. While we were doing experiments, part of the studies that we needed to do was to take the animal's lungs out. And uh, these are mice. This was a mouse study. And look at their histologies. And uh, while we were harvesting uh, animals' lungs, we noticed that the animals were not bleeding like they normally do. And that actually led to a consultation with one of our colleagues, David Green, from hematology at Northwestern, and that led to other studies. So what we do is, if I describe the method that we use, we instill the particles into animals' lungs after we intubate them, and we instill a dose that corresponds to a human that a human would be exposed when the particulate levels are around 150 micrograms per cubic meter which corresponds to moderately elevated levels of particulate matter. In Chicago, the average levels are around 30 to 35 micrograms per cubic meter, but there are days that the PM10 levels, those particles less than 10 microns, can go up to 100 and 150 micrograms per cubic meter. So, And then at 24 hours, we look at the effects of these particles. We chose 24 hours because if you look at the epidemiology, the cardiovascular events occur within 24 hours after exposure to higher levels of particulate matter. That's the 24 hour is the most important time window after exposure. You mentioned that they weren't bleeding as much. Right. So what do you think was happening? I mean, were they clotting off? So we measured bleeding time. We measured coagulation times. So we found a reduction in bleeding time in these animals. We found a, a reduction in prothrombin and partial thromboplastin time. 
Then we looked at platelet count. We found that the platelet counts were increased in these animals, uh, suggesting that they had a, a tendency to form blood clots. We then measured something called thrombin-antithrombin complex, which is a marker for intravascular thrombin generation. We found a fourfold increase in animals exposed to particulate matter compared to those who did not expose to particulate matter, suggesting that this hypercoagulable state led to an increase in intravascular thrombin generation. Well, unfortunately, our time has come to a close. I'd like to thank our guests, Dr. Budinger and Mutlu. We've been talking about how particulate matter in the air may potentially be contributing to blood clots and heart disease. I'm Dr. Larry Casco, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com, and thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this month's special series, Exploring Heart Health, on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals.